Hey everybody, welcome back to the What Is Money Show. I'm sitting down today with Mr. J.P. Sears, who is the co-founder of Zion, also a well-known YouTube star. Don't know how many years you've been doing it, but I'll let you tell the story in a minute. And as I just learned, also a stand-up comedian. So J.P., welcome to the show. Robert, thank you for having me, brother. Um, I I know I was saying a little bit about this, but I just want to publicly thank you for doing what you're doing. Obviously the world, the old paradigm is crumbling and that's a bit of a painful experience, but what you're doing and of course what myself and the team at Zion is doing and so many other freedom lovers out there, we're trying to accelerate the bridge from the old crumbling paradigm mm. of all that is to the new paradigm, which, I mean, you, you are one of the leading voices in the world, helping usher people into the new paradigm of decentralization, taking your power back and, you know, you being in control of your life and your destiny. So, because I see you doing amazing things. It's just an honor to be here chatting with you, brother. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, I can reflect that right back at you. I know you are essentially a freedom maximalist too. I don't know what term you use to describe it, Um, but I see you fighting for freedom all the time in a lot of ways, in a lot of domains. So, you know, as I was saying to you offline, I'm just fully committed to throwing my weight behind anyone doing that. You know, we have to be, we have to be pointing ourselves at these principles that make sense. And we know what they are. Like if you study history, you know what they are. But for some reason, humanity keeps trying to like abdicate from those principles. Like we think we can get away from life, liberty, and property and somehow get into this world of censorship or cancel culture. It's just, it's nonsense. So like communism will work this time. It's just never been implemented properly. Right. Man, it's a crazy time. And, and the only thing, only way I can explain how so many intelligent people are completely bypassing the obvious lessons that history has taught us, mm-hmm. life, liberty, property rights, basically how freedom is the most essential thing on earth. But mm-hmm. so many people are now like literally anti-freedom. The only way that that makes sense in my mind, how these intelligent people can be for call it this mainstream narrative is, you know, Dr. Robert Malone on Rogan's Mm -hmm. podcast introduced the term kind of to the world. First Mm -hmm. time, a lot of people heard it, the term mass formation psychosis. Mm -hmm. And in short, I think that explains a lot. It's basically where highly intelligent people aren't accessing their intelligence in the moments that they're propagating this mind control weirdness. And, And I don't know how else to explain why there would be people crusading against freedom and why in America people think it's a virtue signal to be anti-free speech and how people think free speech is dangerous rather than looking at the reality of, oh, not having free speech, that's the danger. Yes. What 100%. I actually spoke with Malone recently on the show. We haven't released the episode yet. Well, I think it'll come out tomorrow. We can't release it on YouTube because it's black. He he is blacklisted basically. So it'll be coming out on the podcast and rumble, but what's funny, I'm glad you brought up mass psychosis because 
I had been writing this essay series titled Sovereignism, which was kind of loosely based on the sovereign individual. But this, I guess this was October, November, December last year. I was writing about mass psychosis because that's a lot of what, um, you know, totalitarianism is essentially mass psychosis. So were the Salem witch trials. There's a lot of other instances throughout history. Nazi Germany. Nazi Germany. You know, there's there's been a lot of them. But one of the patterns I identified was there tend to be substantial and rampant violations of property rights leading up to a mass psychosis. So I'm developing, I've been hashing out this theory. It's like, okay, if we violate property, we are perturbing people's relationship with the world, right? Like property is your freedom, essentially. It's your past freedom. Whatever you did to create value in the past, you now have that in property. If that's stolen from you, then it's the same as violating someone's liberty or life or anything else. So anyways, I was writing about this piece, studying the history of mass psychosis. My own soul and heart is being darkened in the process. Like if you ever actually go and study these things historically, it's terrible. It's miserable to read about and study. And then in turn to try to write about it, it was like screwing me up. My head was out of whack. Anyways, his interview comes out with Rogan at the end of December. And then he mentions mass psychosis and it goes viral. So it was very serendipitous to me to like, I was so happy to be pulling myself out of that to like go on and write about a different topic and then to see it suddenly go viral um, was so telling of where we are today. Yeah. Coincidentally enough, just today, a couple hours ago, I filmed a comedy video on mass formation psychosis. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, there's nothing funny about mass formation psychosis, but just doing what I do with online videos, I'm trying to use the language of comedy to convey important messages of freedom. And I think with mass formation psychosis, Ram Dass's quote applies so well. You can't get out of a jail you don't know you're in. Mm. That's why I, I think educating people, like, like you said, like it's a sacrifice learning about mass formation psychosis. It doesn't feel good. It's depressing. But helping educate people to recognize this thing allows them to see the jail that they might not otherwise know they're in. And if they don't know they're in it, they have no way of getting out because it's very slick, manipulative, literally hypnotic program. Um, so it, it's something I, I, I'm grateful Dr. Malone kind of put the term in the zeitgeist because I think the number one antidote for mass formation psychosis is seeing it. Uh, and I, I'm curious in your research of it, as far as like what the solutions are of helping ourselves, helping other people free themselves from the psychosis into the sovereignty of their own critical thinking. Curious what kind of solutions you've come across. Well, I, I agree with you, first of all, that just recognition that it exists, you know, versus I guess there's a tendency to think that whatever thoughts you're having in a moment are just yours, right? Oh, I generated the thoughts and the actions. I am free. I'm critical. No one likes to think they're not critical thinking or they're being uh, pulled around by the crowd or anything of that sort, but it's a, truth. It's a truth of being human. Um, and it's all, it's the thing that makes us the most powerful animal in the world that we, we have this ability to reprogram our own software. But if you don't realize that power, you end up being programmed by something else, someone else's narrative or someone else's story. But if you understand that you can 
that you're programmable effectively, you can self-program, right? You can train yourself to be a critical thinker and, and see through stuff. So to your point, just having that conceptual notion of a mass psychosis is like, that's very helpful just to be like, oh, this is a real thing. I can now step outside of it, look at it, move it around, think about it. Um, and as I mentioned, one of the other patterns, which I hadn't seen much written about, which was kind of my original take, was there tended to be a lot of currency counterfeiting or other violations of property leading up to mass psychoses. Even in the Salem witch trials, like we've heard about this, no one talks about, I uh, forget the name, I think it was the Boston Mint maybe, was rampantly counterfeiting currency for decades leading up to the Salem witch trials. And then when things reached ahead, literally when the bank pretty much collapsed and counterfeiting was, it was just a whole mess, that's when they started burning people alive. So I think there's this deeper connection between property and or money and the mind. Like if it's how we relate to reality through money and yeah. through property, if you mess that up, then I think there's blowback into the human psyche, frankly. That makes sense. And, and I think one way of looking at property, it's a crystallization of our thoughts. Mm-hmm. So it's like whether you own a house or a car mm-hmm. or, or like sculptures, like that symbolizes thoughts that mm-hmm. you have. And yeah, what I'm hearing you say is if, if the government or whatever tyrannical regime can get you to consent to allowing your property to be violated, mm-hmm. then what you're really consenting to is allowing your mind to be violated because your property so, is yes. a symbolic representation of your thoughts. You mentioned counterfeiting as a historical lead up to mass formation psychosis, burning of witches. And I'm curious, what's the parallel you see today? Is it literally counterfeiting or is it the, the government printing like 40% of all U.S. dollars in existence or printed in the last 12 months, that kind of thing? Yeah, actually, uh, sorry, I should have clarified that. I actually, here's the phrase I used to capture it all. It's like inflation is legalized counterfeiting. Counterfeiting is criminalized inflation. It's the same thing. It's just, it's just a matter of which direction the guns are pointed, right? Either you can do the counterfeiting or you get attacked for doing the counterfeiting, right? The, the same crime that George Floyd was basically murdered for, the counterfeit $20 bill, is the same activity the Federal Reserve perpetrates by the trillion. Yeah. It's the same thing. There's literally no, there's no difference other than who, gets, who is legally authorized to do it and who's not. Yeah. So it's really sick. It's really screwed up. Um, and yeah, currency counterfeiting or, or inflation in general is just a violation of property rights ultimately, because you're moving wealth from the hands of those depending on dollars to hold their value into the hands of those who own dollar denominated assets or receive the newly printed money first. So it is, and there's not an argument here. I like, we talk about it a lot. I feel like I'm just kind of beating this drum of, Hey guys, this is so fucking obvious. But yet no one in the world understands it. They think printing money is a good thing somehow. Yeah. It's almost like the fact that it's so obvious makes it harder to for people to believe. Because to me, it's like, all right, the mafia and whatever, the underground of New York doing nefarious stuff, like this small group of people. We get that. Like that's... Mm-hmm. That's like they're trying to hide. Therefore, like mm-hmm. we can see the crime easier. But this there's like there's no attempt to hide it. No, 
And I think uh, Elon Musk recently said the the government has a monopoly on violence. Mm-hmm. And I think in that same light, the government has a monopoly on counterfeiting. Yes. You or I do it. We get arrested. Yes. They do it. Business is glazed over and we watch yeah. them do it. And they say, oh, this is a good thing. We're like, okay, yeah, yeah. this is a yeah. good thing. Thank you for devaluing my money while yeah. giving me more money. So I think I'm getting more money while I actually get less value. Yes. Thank you for committing this crime for me. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah there's something Lord. really insidious about the hidden in plain sight thing, because it's like, I guess people see it. So obviously they're like, it couldn't be that bad or that nefarious because everyone sees it. And then you could add in the incentive blindness when they, okay. So here are the numbers. Um, I forget which round of QE this was, but at one point they printed $46,000 per U S household. There's 130 million U S households. So 46,000 times 130 million, whatever that number is, something in the trillions. They then sent each U.S. household an average of less than $4,000. It was like $3,400 per U.S. household. They sent them a check. Yeah. So $46,000 printed, $3,400 sent to each U.S. household, which is basically just like, we stole $46,000 from each of you. Here's a rebate check for $3,400. And people are just like, yay, we got free money from the government. Things are great. Um, and it's even further perverse in the U.S. because we're also exporting a lot of that inflation. Mm. All right. So that inflation, a lot of that's stealing from um, people in dollar denominated assets or dollar accounts abroad. So there's just this whole complex of deception and, and incentive blindness surrounding fiat. Um, yeah. but it's no wonder we're psychotic at a mass scale. <laughs> For sure. And and I also wonder on the rabbit trail of destroying property rights leading up to mass formation psychosis. I I also wonder if in that category fits our constitutional rights. Mm. Uh, I've had a chance to talk with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on a, you know, a number of different occasions. And, and one of the biggest things he says is for the past two years, our government has absolutely trampled on every single one of our constitutional rights. Obviously, free speech. We have the White House telling Facebook what to censor. We have the White House now announcing we think Spotify should censor Joe Rogan. So we have the the government literally infringing on people's freedom of speech. Do you by chance see the uh, well? Quick side tangent. Do you by chance see the Department of Homeland Security message that came out today? I haven't seen today. No. I'll, I'll, I'll text it to you when we're done. But Dr. Malone sent it to me, and so the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, their new warning of domestic terrorism. One of the primary domestic terrorist threats, according to them, is online spreaders of what they call misinformation. And of course, what they call information is the the mainstream narrative. So it's just an even stronger, I guess, indictment of the government making our First Amendment one of their number one enemies. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, uh, along with our other constitutional rights being trampled on, we've seen, obviously, businesses forced to close down. We've Mm -hmm. seen, for crying out loud, churches Mm -hmm. forced to close down. Um, 
And, and, and I just, my point being, I wonder if people consenting to that is part of our property rights. And in this case, bill of rights being trampled as a way of us consenting to going where the tyrants want us to go. Yeah. There's something here where it's like we, they always want the victim to sign the contract in a way, right? Like to agree to be, to think it's, it's for our own safety or in our best interest or whatever intervention is being imposed. It seems like, and I'm not exactly sure why, I guess because it's just a, a path of least resistance that you want someone that's being censored or oppressed, you know, businesses shut down, freedom of speech modified or infringed upon. You want those affected to agree to it versus trying to have to impose it. You know, you need to sell it. You need to wrap it in some bullshit and be like, oh, it's, it's for your best interests. And it, I call it moral camouflage. Like a lot of the things the state does you can almost identify any venture or, or effort by the state. They'll call it something, right? It'd be like the, the Patriot Act. But there's some, I forget who named this law, but they said you take the name of the law and infer its exact opposite. And that's what its actual intention is. So the Patriot Act is actually to infringe upon your civil liberties and destroy any semblance of, of you know, privacy, essentially. Um, and, you know, it sounds or it sounded tinfoil hat maybe 24 months ago, but now it's it's just so painfully obvious that you have to fight to deceive yourself otherwise. Yeah. It, and, you know, going back to what we were saying earlier, it's a fight to it's a we're fighting for our own minds. Mm -hmm. And I think humbleness says. I'm a human being. I am susceptible to being control, mm -hmm. being controlled. And I think that's healthy. It's very healthy to be humble and know we're mortal in our minds. We're not invincible. This is a, a hardware system. We can run any software mm -hmm. and any software that runs, whether we write the software or someone writes it and puts it in, right. we, we will usually think whatever software is running is our own creation. Right. But humbleness, just like if you look at drugs, it is so good to be humble and realize, oh, drugs, like I am susceptible to addiction. Mm -hmm. That helps mm -hmm. protect you. It helps you reclaim your mind. But I think that's what we're fighting for. Yeah. And it, yeah, I, I, I agree. 24 months ago, it sounded very tinfoil hat-ish. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I don't believe in reality anymore. <laughs> the conspiracy theories have proven to be way more accurate. Yes. And I think, as you were saying about how there's a, a bit of, not a bit, but there's part of the pattern is trying to get the victims to consent and mm -hmm. basically sign the contract themselves. That's the, a classical abuse pattern. Yeah. If you look in psychology, whether it's someone who's beating his wife right. and saying, I'm just doing this because I love you. Gaslighting or, or something. Yeah, gaslighting. Like, this yeah. is your fault. You made me do it. Yeah. Or I'm doing this to protect you. That's something that it's a predatory psychology that helps keep the victim disempowered. Because yes. we realize any abuser, whether it's a government official or a piece of garbage man beating his wife... Yeah. Any abuser's biggest threat is the power of the victim. 
Right. And if they can keep a victim from claiming their power, getting the victim to believe, oh, this is my fault. I brought this yes. on myself. Right. They're very controllable. But if, yes. if the victim reclaims their power and says, I deserve better than this, how dare you lay a finger on me? Now right. the predatory abuser is in trouble. Yes. They're in trouble of losing the power dynamic. They're in trouble of being hurt themselves. Mm-hmm. No, it's and, a- and it, I think this pattern, it plays out in any kind of abusive relationship, whether it's one-on-one or a few on many. Yes. No, you're completely right. It's, I guess, related to Stockholm syndrome to some extent, where you're just trying to get the abused to, I guess you're trying to um, claim the abused loyalty from the abused, something like that, through these psychological tactics. Yeah. and in particular, when it comes to government, you know, call it rulers overruled, the victims to claim their power, they, we need unity, right? We need to come together. We need to have communication. We need to have tight family and community bonds. Uh, we need an entrepreneurial culture, right? We need all of these things that create wealth and create social cohesion. Those are the very points the state is attacking, right? It's like shutting down church, as you said, shutting down small business, uh, preventing family gatherings, right? Over this vaccine nonsense. So um, it's truly mind numbing to see it happening in real time. Um, But one of the questions you, you said earlier, like what else came up in my research and how to fight back? One of the things I mentioned offline to you is like, it's comedy, Right. This is just like in the schoolyard. If there's some bully beating up kids and taking their money or whatever, like you may not have many physical responses to a bully because he's probably the biggest, strongest, one of the biggest, strongest kids because he's the bully. Right. But what you do have is comedy. You can make fun of that kid. You know, you can talk about him not getting enough love at home or whatever the joke is to diffuse this illusion of power he has. And in my research, that was suggested to be one of the number one ways to fight totalitarianism. It's like you need to make fun of these motherfuckers. You need to call them out on all their bullshit, all their inauthenticity. Um, the guy that immediately comes to mind here is Trudeau. You see him yeah. speaking in public. He is, I mean, he's a World Economic Forum puppet. He's just reciting this pure rhetoric. I think anyone that's ever dealt with a human. Uh, and it, how do I say this? The energy, the energy the guy is putting off is just false, right? There's just total false energy coming off of him. So it's like you, you got to see through the words and actually look at what what vibe is that person putting off. And I'm I'm picking on him, but I think you know most politicians are, are kind of guilty of this. Yeah, I think uh, I'll share a thought on the comedy in a second, but first the Trudeau. Something he has working for him as a way of helping deceive more people is he doesn't look like a tyrant. Like you look at Klaus Schwab, you're like, all right, like, dude, don't show your face in public. We can tell what you're up to (laughs) just by looking at you, you ugly turtle. And and then of course you can to be petting, right? (laughs) (laughs) Bald cat. Yeah. Absolutely. But then you hear Schwab talk and then you like you feel that like untrustworthy like you Mm -hmm. you feel that it's intangible but we're all humans we know a gut instinct we can sense energy it's just Mm -hmm. are you aware of it or not 
and something that empowers people is trusting what they feel. Like you're saying all the right words, but this doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. So you get that easily with Klaus Schwab, but Trudeau, he's whatever, he's younger. He, he looks like he's on your side. He looks like he's one of us. He's kind of handsome, but then he's just a world economic forum puppet. And like you said, if you, if you feel like, well, that just feels untrustworthy. That's your vibe, bro. Yeah. And when it comes to comedians, of course, I'm biased because I'm a comedian. Mm-hmm. So, of course, like most important job in the world. <laughs> no, but it, I, I do think in the time we live in uh, comedy, it is important to help poke holes in the stranglehold of mass formation psychosis and mind control. Like from a classic archetypal point of view, comedians are the court jesters. And the the court jester's role is to help keep the king's ego in check, to keep the king being a king rather than the king's ego slowly leading him to become a tyrant. Mm -hmm. And the court jester got to do that by making fun of the king. And just like the bully, like, cool, when, when, when there's like court jesters doing comedy on how the king is, specifically the king's egoic tendencies... That helps illuminate it so the king can see it mm-hmm. and be mm-hmm. self-aware. And when you've got a benevolent king who's truly out to serve the people, he'll own it. He'll process mm-hmm. it. Like, I've been doing that. That's a blind spot. Cool. Yes. Let me be glad I know. Let me be better. But if you've got a king who's dedicated to ruling people rather mm-hmm. than serving people, then they start cutting the heads off the court jesters right. because- they want to hide the truth that the comedian is expressing. Now, inconvenient for the tyrants, the first and most important principle in comedy is the truth principle. Mm. For something to be funny, it's got to come from a basis of truth. Now, you can add exaggerations, hyperbole, all that, but it's got to come from a basis of truth. Mm. If you're laughing, there was something true in it that resonates mm-hmm. with you. And when you look at quote unquote comedy that does not have the truth principle, it's not funny. Like yeah. you can look at Saturday night live in the eighties and seventies. be like, dude, most of that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's, mm-hmm. it's pretty good, but you look at Saturday night live now and it's propaganda. They mm-hmm. use the narrative principle, not the truth principle. The narrative mm-hmm. principle is, Let's pretend the narrative is true and we're going to do comedy on that. Mm -hmm. And we're going to actually bash people like Mm -hmm. they do a bunch of stuff on Joe Rogan. Now we're going to bash people that are trying to bring the truth out. And then like, cool, you you could agree with them. You could be like, yeah, right on. But you're not going to get genuine instinctual laughter. Why? Because the truth principle is not there. So when you look at comedians today who are, first and foremost, dedicated to truth. A good comedian is going to be dedicated to truth. They're not going to be dedicated to how they want things to be. They're not even going to be dedicated to preserving their own self-image. They know great comedy comes from a dedication to truth. So that's certainly something I do my best to do. But you look at the huge names like a, a Dave Chappelle, a Joe Rogan, and you can see why cancel culture is railing against them. They're dedicated to truth. Right. And that's the court jester pointing out the obvious flaws, hypocrisies, mm. and lies 
in the tyrannical kingdom. So of course, put their head in the guillotine, you know, cut it off, silence them, cancel culture. And so far, those guys have been uncancelable. Thank God. Yeah. And uh, they're important. I, I think true comedy is very important because if we lose the comedians, you mentioned earlier, maybe it was before we jumped uh, uh, online to record the comedians. That's like the canary in the coal mine. Yes. Yeah. If you see the comedians go, go down, right. your well-being is going to be really affected. Yes. Yeah, it's well said. Yeah, they are. I mean, at least in a an archetypal sense, there to deliver truth that might not otherwise be communicated in the presence of power. Right. The comedian is speaking truth to power. Yeah. Uh, even those delivered in a way that's entertaining and funny. It's like to your point, it's only funny because there's some nugget of truth in there. <laughs> Yeah. And it's and another thing that makes it funny is like it's typically it's something that everyone understands, but not pe- not many people want to s- say or acknowledge for whatever reason. And the comedian kind of steps into that vacuum, I guess. Yeah. And if authority starts to attack that, you can bet your ass that kingdom is about to fall. Yeah, because it's divergent from truth, right? When you start trying to cover up, you can't you can't do anything about the truth. The truth is all the time. You can just reorient yourself to it. If you try to deny it or cover it up or move away from it, like you're just create, you're sowing the seeds of catastrophe ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. And and when you look at a truth teller, who's not a comedian, like you take a Dr. Robert Malone, Mm. such an important voice, such an important role in society. We need that. And there's someone who speak truth directly Mm -hmm. in a literal way to the best for their ability but the problem with just that, it's very easy for you know, the, the centralized powers to spot mm-hmm. and do their best to shut down. Whereas speaking the same truth just through the language of comedy, there's a wit that starts to dance around the mm-hmm. matrix of deception stories and lies that the narrative uh, brings up. So using wit to bypass a lot of that stuff, you can get into people's psyches quicker and without them knowing that Mm -hmm. so that they can consider a message. Whereas if you're, Oh, I'm going to listen to a podcast with Dr. Malone Mm -hmm. people, you know, if they don't want to hear it, they're going to defenses are already up. Right. But if you can kind of like what comedy does, it's like putting the medicine in cheese and then feeding that to the dog. Yeah. You know, my dog, if I try to give her a pill, (laughs) spit it out. But if I wrap it in meat or cheese, helps it go down. And, and comedy is the meat or cheese to wrap the message in. It, comedy is just a messenger. God forbid comedy was the only messenger out there. We'd all be dysfunctional. It's one of them. And, and yeah. to me, I look at it like we're an orchestra. Everybody who's playing in the truth orchestra, we need different instruments. We yes. need different ranges. So comedians are like, whatever, the saxophone, what you're doing, you, you know, you're the drums, Dr. Malone, he's, he's the flute and, and we need people getting angry. We need people teaching meditation. We need yeah. people talking about Bitcoin. We need people doing comedy. Yeah. We need every member of the orchestra right now to help preserve the song of truth amen to that um and i guess you know 
laughter really is the best medicine, right? Not just individually for someone that's trying to shake off the blues or, or something, but for mass psychosis itself, we need to actually take stock of what's going on, but also laugh at the bullshit because laughing at the bullshit is what diffuses the bullshit, right? If you start taking Amen. it so seriously, right? Like, Oh, this guy is so powerful and he has this plan for the world and we got to all get behind him or resist him. It sets up as you're describing when someone like Malone, he's delivering a very direct message. So it's a, there's a very, there's a hardness to it and it's easy to, to, fight against that, I guess you could have counterfactuals to everything someone says, right? And you can do this about anything. You can argue about anything until the end of time, but when you wrap it in the meat or cheese of comedy, all of a sudden it's delivering it in a way that's less subject to those defenses or counterfactuals. So 100%. you're almost like inception in a way, right? You're just incepting these little nuggets of truth. And then yeah, they get into people's psyche and they, you know, they germinate, I guess, something like that. It, absolutely. You know, a good joke will get something into your brain that you, you, you couldn't process it coming in. That's why the punchline, it's always a surprise. Like, Oh, I didn't know this was in mm -hmm. my head. And so it's like, yeah, you like transport secret agents behind enemy yeah. lines, whereas <laughs> just literal information, it's like, well, that's the army tank we can see coming. Right. It's easier to defend against. And I think each time someone laughs, it's breaking a trance. Mm -hmm. It's it, it, in, in a best case scenario, it's breaking a trance. You didn't know you're in. Right. That's why, you know, you mentioned helping break people free of bullshit. So if you can get them laughing at a hypocrisy of the mainstream narrative or any element of the mainstream narrative or the propagators of the mainstream mm. narrative, if you get them laughing at it, you've broken a layer of, the trance mm -hmm. now, there might be a hundred more layers yeah. or that could have been the layer that frees the camels back from all the right. narrative straw. But nonetheless, again, biased comedian here. So of <laughs> course I'm, I'm selling the comedy propaganda and you're helping me do it. Robert. <laughs> comedy is the number one thing. We need to print more money for you, but come to my comedy show. <laughs> no, but for those reasons, the psychological freedom we get from laughter and therefore, the, the, the control we get of our own minds that's given to us by laughter and how that helps yeah. cleanse the trances we're under. I, unfortunately, I think now more than ever in our lifetimes, comedy is very important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, it, you know, I should say we're not the only ones thinking this. You know, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peterson. He's talked for a long time about when they start attacking the comedians, watch the F out because that's, as we said, the canary in the coal mine. Um, the other thing that comes to mind on that topic is, and I think he got this from Carl Jung, but he says that the fool is the precursor to the savior often. So we need someone. We almost have, you know, we call it a trance. We make it sound like it's a bad thing. And it can be a bad thing, but we also have to live in a trance to some extent, right? That's how we, if you, if you just walk outside today, if you live in a city, you get on peacefully with all these strangers, right? That's not normal in the context of human history. Yeah. Like we've built these useful fictions, like, you know, civil liberties and property rights and money, all these things really. So we can, we can have harmonious 
interaction with one another in, in a high trust environment, I guess you could say. Um, I don't know, an, an environment where trust comes pretty easily, right? You can walk into a restaurant, sit down at a table. You're not concerned about the pe- the people in the restaurant probably are going to kill you. I mean, one of them might, but probably not. Um, the problem comes when that useful or those useful fictions are twisted to serve the interest of some individual or some group, yeah. right? Someone's trying to take control of the narrative to drive it a certain direction. Whereas in reality, we need the, the comedians are calling out that calling out this bullshit, like someone trying to take a hold of the narrative, diverging the narrative or the useful fiction from truth. That's what comedians are highlighting. So they can actually be the savior, right? Someone can actually call out, Hey, this does not work. So-and-so is trying to drive us this direction. And you can, you can plant that idea with, with laughter and jokes. And that's a beautiful thing, right? That can actually save the world. Um, not to sound too hyperbolic, but that's how I see it. it. <laughs> it's one of the instruments in the yeah. symphony that can yeah. save the world. And I agree with you that there's beneficial trances. It's just mm-hmm. like if you don't, you probably don't want to not have software on your computer. Right. Computers like yeah, exactly. mostly useless if you don't have yeah. software. But what you do want is to choose the software yes. you have on your computer. So I think like, yes, I want to be in a trance when I'm walking around downtown to believe being kind to other people and yes. courteous is a great thing. I also want to be under the trance of believing everybody around me is good until I see evidence. Otherwise, right. those are great trances. Yeah. And those can be used against us. Yeah. Um, there, there's a good friend of mine named Mickey Willis. He did the films Plandemic and Indoctrination, the most censored films of all time. Yet, here's potential evidence of how much truth they convey. They've still been viewed over a billion times. Wow. Even though they've absolutely censored off of all mainstream platforms, all big tech platforms. My point being, though, Mickey has a term that he's been using and it's called weaponized morality. So you take someone who's good and moral, and maybe you've even chosen like, Hey, these are the trances I want. And we might call those values. Here are the Mm -hmm. values I live by. I want to do good. I want to, if someone's, you know, being hurt, I want to save them. Just all these good values and morals. A weaponized morality is when you've got a sociopathic mind. Let's mm. just picture Klaus Schwab for a second, who who will manipulate values that people have, manipulate their chosen trances, and get them to do harmful things under the guise of this is a good thing. Yes. So you know, teaching, hey, it's bad to be racist. Mm. Dude, I'm I I agree with that. Mm. Cool. You think it's bad to be racist? Great. So here's how we're going to fight racism. We're going to teach children. We're going to teach white children. They're inherently evil because of their skin color. And we're going to teach black children that they're never going to amount to anything because of their skin color. You're a good person. You don't like friends. Good, good, good. Then uh, subscribe to this. And we might say, well, shoot, if I start doing my own thinking, I might recall the words of the guy who did a lot for civil rights named Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. who said, don't judge a man based on his skin color. Judge him based on the content of his character. Mm-hmm. If we pretend 
he has more truth than CNN, we might realize, wow, CNN is people, just for example, uh, trying to push critical race theory. We might look at that and say like, well, that's weaponized morality. Mm -hmm. The people that that works on, it works on them not because they're idiots or morons or because they're bad people. It works on them because they're good people that want to do the right thing. But the problem is they're being manipulated into believing that the right thing is a divisive thing. Mm-hmm. It's something that slows down the evolution of society. It's something that uh, sets us up for more division, hatred, and being controlled. So I think looking out for weaponized morality, it's yes. used everywhere with uh, Fauci's favorite disease. It's used with climate change. It's used with, uh, I mean, almost anything the narrative says that's not in our best interest. Yeah. Organized morality. I love, I, I like that term. I mentioned, I use this term moralistic camouflage. Um, but the original, I mean, the blatantly obvious one, the almost archetypal at this point is the Marxist credo, right? From each, according to their ability to each, according to their need. It's this beautiful, utopian, simple, elemental phrase. You're like, great, that's the path to future human abundance and peace and harmony. Yet it was that very guise that whatever, weaponized morality or moralistic camouflage under which some of, if not the worst atrocities in human history were perpetrated, right? Yeah. It's, so it's, it's using this idea of you're, you're, you're preying on people's compassion circuitry, right? We all have this, we want, of course, everyone wants to be compassionate and love the neighbor. Like as long as you're in good shape, most of us, you know, we're not fighting over some economic scarcity, then people are tend to be naturally kind of good to one another. Well, the problem is you can prey on that circuitry. You can now implant this idea of from each, according to their ability to each, according to their need to get to this Marxist utopia, just do whatever I say. And turns out do whatever I say ends up being you know, give me all the power, all the property, murder who I tell you to murder. Um, yeah. And the utopia never comes. Obviously, you, you've, you fall into total dystopia. And this is the key is it? it's it always contradicts freedom. They're always trying to convince you, convince you of or justify coercion in some way. And that, I think, is the core fucking psychological schism on humanity is this idea of coercion or fiat, right? Fiat just means because I said so. Do this because I said so, rather than because you decided to do so. Yeah. That is the problem. We can't, it barely works with kids, right? You have to raise your kids with fiat. You know, don't do that. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't, you know, don't touch that. But eventually you hope they grow up to the point where they're just fully formed adults and they can make their own decisions. Yeah. The idea that we use fiat to govern other adults is insane, actually insane. Well, yeah, I think it fits the definition of insanity really well, being out of your mind. Mm-hmm. And I, I, therefore, I think the solution, easier said than done, but we're working every day to get humanity here. Mm-hmm. The solution, I think, is doing your own critical thinking and along with, okay, do your own critical thinking, which also probably means turn off the sources of mind control mm-hmm. because it's invasive. It's like... Yeah. Medication is absorbed through our skin. We yes. like it's kind of on the outside of me, but it goes right into me, mm-hmm. even more so with CNN. Just any any of the sources of 
mainstream propaganda. Mm. So we've got to turn that off. We've got to turn on our own critical thinking. But coupled with that, I think we absolutely need the virtue of courage because we need the courage to be able to say, that doesn't feel right to me. Mm -hmm. That's what you're telling me. That's not my truth. That even sounds like a lie. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of courage to do that, especially when you feel like you're the only one. But by the way, I assure everybody out there, I've been traveling the country for a long time, everywhere from Portland to Florida, everywhere in between, even in the most Portland-like cities in San Francisco, it's filled with freedom lovers. Yeah. So I, I guarantee if you like freedom, you are on the side of the majority. I promise you that. Yeah. So the shame of you're the only one, if you're saying that sounds like a lie, no, 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 no. the ones per- perpetrating the lies yes. might tell you that, but you're, you're actually sane when you can have the courage to point something out that feels like a lie. Yes. And we're actually, as you said, we're insane when we go out of our own minds and mm-hmm. outsource our thinking to someone else, it's very disrespectful to the divine intelligence that we're mm-hmm. gifted with. Absolutely. It's yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot, but um, I love this idea of, you know, you, the pandemic's over really just turn off the news. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, That's the key. It's just no, life is good when you turn off the news. It's yeah. great. Yeah. So look, we, all right. We're talking about, I love this vein of weaponized morality, more or less than camouflage, always used to justify coercion, which is another way of saying it's always used to attack freedom, right? We're trying to attack the freedom of some to ostensibly expand the freedom or safety of others. Mm-hmm. But this is, it's a Sisyphean task. It's a fool's errand. It never works, right? You can't control people against their own self-interest. So let's talk about freedom. Um, I know this is a big, I would imagine is your core principle, your highest principle. It is for myself. It's probably why we get along so well. How do you, I've described myself as a freedom maximalist because it's pretty much anarcho-capitalist, libertarian, something like that. But those words have all been attacked and abused. So I try to just make it simple. Uh, And I see that as really the aim. I think this is the is and the ought coming together. It's like the is, is we are all self-owned, self-sovereign individuals. So we ought to really just maximize our individual freedom within the limiting principle of private property. So long as we don't violate the freedom of others, we should each seek to maximize our own freedom. That's what we do in capitalism. And this sounds kind of philosophical or wishy-washy, but that's also practically how we create the most wealth and solve the most problems and increase the standard of living in the world. It's the only way. So um, I'd love to hear your your philosophical waxings on, on freedom and what it means to you. Yeah, man. Well, Freedom is my number one value. I didn't know that until two years ago. You know, a fish swimming in freedom waters like doesn't really know the freedom he's swimming in. But mm-hmm. using our imagination, a couple of years ago, we can recall how our freedoms start getting taken away um, with moralistic camouflage. Like, this, don't go to church and like don't visit friends, but it's for mm-hmm. your protection and yeah. all that stuff. So, along with that, Uh, what was it? April 7th, 2020, right when the storm was beginning and, you know, it's a month into it. So I'm 
pretty woken up like, all right, this is not about a virus, mm-hmm. it's about something else. But then April 7th, 2020, I find out my wife's pregnant. Now I've got a beautiful one-year-old little boy, just, I mean, he's what drives me. But finding out my wife's pregnant, <clears throat> that really woke something up inside of me because I think I, I'm very willing to do a lot to preserve my own freedom. But preserving the freedom of my son and my grandchildren who I don't even know, that's something that I'll fucking die for. It's like, cool, like throw me in a a camp, whatever. You might get me to submit, but I will never submit on behalf of my son and his children. Because right now we're like, I I just knew this in Mm -hmm. April of 2020. Right now, we are authoring the world of what our children and their grandchildren, our grandchildren will be. We have pen in hand. Their life is going to be a consequence of our choices today. Hey, everybody. As you've no doubt learned by watching this show, Bitcoin is the single most important asset you can own in the 21st century. And one of the most important companies in Bitcoin today is Nidig. Nidig's mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many people as possible. One of the ways they are accomplishing this mission is by empowering banks and financial technology companies to offer their own Bitcoin products and services. As a true game changer in the industry, Nidig is safely unlocking the power of Bitcoin for forward-thinking individuals and institutions alike. Led by Robbie Gutman, Yin Zhao, and Ross Stevens, Nidig has absolutely exploded onto the Bitcoin scene recently and has quickly become a leader in this space. So whether you are a professional investor looking for asset management services or a company looking to white label your own Bitcoin product or service, consider Nidig your single source solution for everything Bitcoin. We wake up in our lifetime and realize our freedoms are in jeopardy. And then we really wake up and realize our future generations, they're helpless. They can't fight for their freedoms right now. Mm. We have to do it. So that was the beginning of me waking up to like, okay, I didn't know freedom was my number one value, but wow, it is. And the Mm. father instincts really Mm. helping me not only get in touch with it, but do something about it. And then there, there just wasn't a choice. It was just kind of like just naturally walking into now I stand for freedom. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm a comedian, but that's not what matters. What matters is me using my voice, my platform, my comedy to help wake people up to the importance of freedom and help wake people up to the forces that are trying to take their freedoms. Mm -hmm. And here's why I think freedom's so important. It's our God-given state. Mm-hmm. And I don't care what someone's religious, spiritual beliefs are, or if you're an atheist, I think we're born in freedom. I think that's our true nature. And anytime we violate our true nature, it's a recipe for discontentness, unhappiness, mm-hmm. and a lack of purpose. But anytime we honor our true nature, that's the recipe for a fulfilled life. Mm-hmm feeling on purpose, feeling happy, having Mm -hmm. a good quality of life. So, you know, uh, without sounding too airy-fairy, I believe God's law is freedom. Mm -hmm. There's some sociopathic men 
and women. You know, let's be equal. They're sociopathic women for sure. <laughs> for sure. So it's man's. I've dated anything. most of them. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think we shared some territory there, brother. <laughs> but you can have sociopathic men making up laws that mandate lack of freedom. Yeah. I think God's law always wins. It's just man is finite. God's law is infinite. The only question is how fast does the freedom law win? Yeah. And, and I think you and I were, we don't know, but we're doing everything in our power. And I know so many listeners are doing everything in their power to accelerate how fast the truth of freedom, God's law supersedes demented human laws. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think freedom, therefore it's the gift that makes life really worth living. And without freedom, life gradually becomes not so worth living. That's why you study history, you study war heroes, you study brave people, you study like the, you know, the brave heart archetype. When people are deprived of freedom long enough, they all become willing to die in the name of freedom. Mm -hmm. Now, weaponized morality, moralistic camouflage would tell us there is nothing worse than death. Mm -hmm. but, uh, quote our friend Robert F. Kennedy Jr. So no, 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 there's plenty that's worse than death. Oh, yeah. How about having your freedoms taken away mm -hmm. for starters? Uh, how about living under the control of someone else? How would you like to live in a perpetual abusive situation that you call normal, but it's an abusive situation? There are, there's a lot that's worse than death. And last thing I'll say on a airy fairy note, and again, I have, I don't care what someone's spiritual beliefs are, religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. So, like, take all this, filter it through your brain. But I think right now there's a reason why freedom of religion is being attacked. Mm -hmm. And there's a freedom. You look at history. Why one of the first steps of communism and Marxism is to destroy religion, ban it, outlaw it, mm -hmm. burn all the religious books. It's because if people have a belief in a higher power, they kind of realize a universal principle of there is no death. There's only mm -hmm. transition. So, mm -hmm. you know, death just means cool. Like we're, we're then in heaven or we're in a different lifetime. Like you mm -hmm. put your own spin on it. But if you ban religion, ban beliefs in a higher power, and essentially ban beliefs that death is really only an illusion, mm -hmm. then you can get people scared of death. They're scared to death of death. Now they're very controllable because they'll believe, well, there's nothing worse than death. Mm -hmm. So how about you controlling me? That's much worse than death. People who, who aren't afraid of death are very threatening to people that want to control them. Yes. Because the, manipulating people with the fear of death, COVID's going to kill you. That's yeah. manipulated so many people around the world yeah. for the past two years. But when someone's not scared of death because they've got their connection to the higher power, their own beliefs that they've yeah. formed, they're not controllable. They yes. serve someone far superior than the tyrants right. in the tyrants narrative. Brilliantly said, um, you know, the, 
I think it was written, I don't know who wrote it, some Eastern philosopher who said the way of the warrior is the resolute acceptance of death. Mm. And it's like, if you're going to live, if you're really going to live, it's like you need to go ahead and be an adult and stare at death and be like, that's happening and accept it. Like let it like integrate it deep into your being and get on with life, you know, like just get on with it, do what you want to do, enjoy it, seize the moment, whatever you want to say. And people that run from that, I mean, you're just, you're fucked. You're, you you were fucked because it's denial. Yeah. You're super fucked and you're in super denial. Every human being that's ever been born has eventually died. Right. And then newsflash, every human being that's currently living will eventually die. And that's yeah. not being like, oh, now just be depressed and fear death. No, it's more to take up the yeah. ethos of what you just said of once you come to terms with death, now you're really living. Yes. Now you appreciate every waking moment. I, I, every single time I pick up my son, I so appreciate it. It's never been taken for granted because I know this lifetime is a gift that lasts for a blink of an eye. Right. I know death will happen. I don't wish it to happen tomorrow. I hope it's a long time sure. away. And I don't really know when it's going to happen. But like you said, I know it's going to happen. Yeah. And that's, it, it's a great paradox. That's when you really start living. Yeah. And you, I don't know, I guess something about, taking responsibility too, like, because again, in, in fear, you're abdicating a responsibility. Someone's like, Oh, just do this thing for your own good. And you're like, so scared to die. Like, okay, I'll do whatever. It's like, you're not taking responsibility for your own life, your own decisions. You're not living in your own power, frankly. Um, and there's something really just terrible about that. It's it just, it, it's demeaning to your humanity to some extent. And, you know, I hear, I love what you're saying here about connecting it to God. I'm, I was not religious for a long time, but in the past couple of years, I basically consider myself a disciple of Christ. Now I was like, I'm just trying to be like that guy. Like he was the archetype, right. Of meeting hatred with love and betrayal with compassion and all the things, you know, you, you, you actually read the story and it's just overwhelming. I don't care about your religious beliefs as just a story. It's overwhelming and archetypal about how humans should aspire to be, in my opinion. And if we, even just in a practical sense, like you don't have to believe in the afterlife per se, but we know that people like Christ and others, they have an afterlife, like it's going on right now, right? They live on in the lives of others. You brought up Martin Luther King earlier. He's, I would say he's had a pretty significant afterlife, right? He's got a holiday. He's got roads in every major city named after him. He changed the course of human history. Um, there's plenty of people we could talk about, you know, Marcus Aurelius, et cetera, et cetera. But there is practically, in a non-spiritual sense, an afterlife. And I think if you point yourself at that, like how do you maximally contribute to the lives of others, adding value to the to the lives of others, if you will, that that becomes a very powerful resistance to fear. It's like, what are you going to do to me? Are you going to kill me? So fucking what? Like I'll stand up with my heart towards truth until you do. And then hopefully that influences and echoes in the lives of others. So, you know, what, like, I don't know. I just don't see a, a way to live higher than that. Um, yeah, yeah, man. I, and that's why I think 
so many of us are now on a hill that we're willing to die on and the hill that we're protecting is called freedom. Mm-hmm. It's if there was anything, it's the one thing worth dying for. And of course mm-hmm. we hope we're not going to have to die. Mm-hmm. And if we do, so be it. Mm-hmm. But man, I, I think when, uh, what, what we all know, the only way that outside of physical enslavement, the only way that a few people can control many is through fear. And it, and I think a lot of us don't really realize how much we've lived our entire life navigating it through fear. What we do and what we don't do can largely be um, instructed by how we're going to avoid fear. But when we become willing to be scared to death, as opposed to avoiding the fear of death. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll live my life. I'll get the safe job. I'll do as I'm told. I'm like, okay, yes, sir. That's all fear. I'm avoiding the sensation of fear by mm-hmm. acting out of fear. But the warrior who's willing to be bold, go outside of his comfort zone, he's not the one without fear. No, he's the one with the courage to feel the fucking fear. Yes. And he does things that provoke the fear. I know mm-hmm. myself, not, not that I'm a prime example of a warrior, but... I'm better than I used to be. Hmm. I look at stand-up comedy. Do you like it? Scary. So fucking <laughs> scary the first time, first hundred times getting on stage. Someone who's completely living under a fear trance of I only do things that help me avoid fear. Uh, and, and like anything that would provoke fear, I avoid that. They, they wouldn't get on stage or may, they might do it once and say, wow, mm-hmm. those physical sensations were too intense. I'm not yeah. going to do that. But then you look at anybody who's doing something great or admirable, I guarantee they went through the sensations of feeling scared to death, like mm-hmm. getting on stage. Like, we know we're not going to die, but the sensations mm-hmm. are like you're scared to death or the first time you ask your future wife out or you start mm-hmm. a podcast, just whatever the things are that provoke fear. When you do that, you're really living. Oh yeah. So those who are willing to tolerate the emotions of fear, specifically fear that comes with a story of this might lead to death. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I think we're really living and we're really embodying this thing called freedom because it's one thing to talk about freedom it's another thing to embody it and vibrate at the frequency of freedom and for me a simple recipe of what freedom is is it's a willingness to do what you're called to do no matter how scary it is Mm -hmm. whereas lack of freedom control that's you being in a relationship with fear Mm -hmm. the relationship is built out of avoidance Mm -hmm. But if there's no end to what you're willing to do when you're following your calling, like, cool, I'm going to experience a 10 out of 10 fear. Cool. I'm going mm-hmm. into it anyway. Yeah. That's called freedom. We yeah. get enslaved by fear. Nobody enslaves us to fear more than we do. And mm-hmm. once we enslave ourselves to fear, then other people can tap into our threat of enslavement we've authored, but like, welcome to humankind. I think we all have that to a degree. That's why like self-growth, personal empowerment, it's almost like essential to, to do a lot of that in order to become a free human being. So we can navigate our lives through 
purpose, fulfillment, and soulful calling and our own critical thinking rather than navigating our lives through the avoidance of fear. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I heard this a lot when I was young, but it's ringing increasingly true that the coward dies a thousand deaths, the hero dies but once. And it's so true, man. You just, wouldn't you... Wouldn't everyone prefer to live life fully and then die once than than die this, you know, countless micro deaths by being a coward at life? Like, and you can only do that to your point by stepping into the pain, stepping into the fear, right? You you know, it's going to hurt, you know, it's not going to feel good, but you go into that place where it doesn't feel good and you actually inform your body and your mind, right? Your, Your pain is information. It's telling you you know, whatever, it doesn't feel good. So you have to adapt to it to overcome it. You're strengthening yourself. And if you don't do that, if you walk away from it, you get this short-term gain, you know, of not feeling the fear of the pain, but the long-term consequence of just, you know, living a coward's life. And it's not, I don't know, it's just not suitable for me. I, I would, it seems to me like it wouldn't be suitable for most, but I think a lot of people are just blind to it. You know, it's, it's easy to, to go with a pack. So it, it's, it's normal, you know, a coward yeah. life, you know, a fish swimming in cowardly waters. And yeah. I don't mean that shamefully, but just yeah. like a reality of a lot of us are living most of our lives out of fear avoidance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, yeah, it's a cowardly way to live in a fish swimming in cowardly waters doesn't really know it because it's, yeah. it's, it's normal in many senses. Yeah. One of the things I personally recommend on a highly practical level is intentionally doing things that provoke physical and emotional discomfort. Mm. And in a, a piece of what I do every day, and, and again, I don't come out like, dude, do this. Cause I'm the most courageous person on earth. No, no, no. I've elevated my courage beyond what it used to be. That's all I can say. I'm not winning the gold medal in courage. But uh, uh, the first thing I do uh, every day when I'm home, I've got a cold plunge tub in my garage. Mm. Like with the physiological benefits of the cold plunge, I don't even care about those. What I care about, why I do it every morning, is the mental training of intentionally doing something that's very uncomfortable physically is also very uncomfortably psychologically. Cause like, there's a lot of resistance. Like I don't want to do it. There's fear. Like it's mm. 39 degrees water, 39 degree water. It's very uncomfortable, mm. but here's why I do it. The mental training is that's very uncomfortable and I'm the type of person that does it anyway. I mm. literally go right into the discomfort so I think in, in like intense exercise is another great way of doing it. I, I love working out hard and much like the cold plunge, like I enjoy the physiological benefits, but I do it because it's, or what I really love about it is the mental training to teach me, okay, physical discomfort, psychological discomfort, not only like it feels bad, but not only is it not bad for me, it's usually the best thing for me. And I think the paradox is true. Usually the things that are most comfortable to us, the most pleasant are usually the worst things for us. Right. Cool. Eat a bunch of sugar. That's super comfortable in the moment. It's terrible for you. Cool. Lay, lay around on the couch all day. That's so comfortable. And it's so terrible for you. And uh, lastly on this, I'll never forget uh, uh, earlier. I mentioned like right around April 7th, 
I was really waking up to like freedoms are being taken. I got to do something about it. It was right around that time. I just sat up one day and I said, I've got to go do a backflip off the bridge in Austin. So for context, there's this pedestrian bridge that goes over Barton Creek in Austin where I live. And the top of the bridge, it's about 26 feet high. So it's like a, it's a fun jump. It's, it's scary. I've jumped a high backflip. Yeah. So I've jumped off it before with friends and like, it evokes butterflies. It's yeah. scary. You're, you're on top of it. You're looking down, but I've only jumped off it. I've never yeah. flipped or anything. And for the past couple of years, I had been like, dude, I, I want to do a backflip off it, but I'm just too scared. It's too scared. I was unwilling to go into the discomfort, but just like intuitively, it just came out of me near the beginning of the pandemic of, I need to go do a backflip off that bridge. And I did. And I'm glad to say it was successful. And I've since like, cool, now I only flip off the bridge. It's just an, an expansion. But looking back at like, why did I just intuitively know I had to do that? I think it's because it metaphorically and literally was me breaking a, a new barrier inside of mm. myself of the level of discomfort that I'm willing to go to. And, you know, in the past couple of years where my sole mission is representing freedom, I can see why. Like there's been a lot of discomfort. There's never been a time of greater fulfillment and reward. Mm -hmm. And there's times of intense discomfort, like oh, cancel mm -hmm. culture. Am I going to lose all my business? Is YouTube going to deplatform me? Mm -hmm. And it's like, now it's like, I hope it doesn't happen, but if it does, I'm good. Adapt. Yeah. Love that. It's great, great story. And impressive by the way, because I too like to do things that, you know, walk into the fear, walk into the pain. I love intense exercise, but a backflip off 26 foot bridge. I've jumped off some high stuff. I've jumped off probably a 45 foot cliff, but just a jump. So yeah. the idea of doing a backflip off there, I can relate to the butterflies and things that it probably yeah. evokes. Yeah. Just rotate slower than you think you need to. Have you jumped off of uh, the shipwreck, a cliff in Kauai? No. No, I, I, you know what? We've been to that beach though. I know exactly what one you're talking about. Cool. I've, I've actually got a, a picture in my office of me mid flight. And that's about a 45 foot jump. Yeah. I've uh, done a couple of times when I visited Kauai and I love having that picture in my office because like that, that's super scary. Yeah. And like, you can legitimately get hurt doing it. Oh yeah. But I love having that picture that someone captured for me because it reminds me of like doing the thing that you're most scared of will make you feel more alive yes. than anything. By the way, note of uh, responsibility, using your own discernment, it'd make you feel real alive to get into a cage with a tiger. <laughs> but if your brain's on, your discernment would probably say risk versus reward ain't worth it. Yes. Or you look at a hundred foot bridge jump. I, nope. Don't nope. do that. Yeah. <laughs> not doing it. My discernment is active as well. It's not about being a stupid, courageous warrior. Yes. It's about being a wise, courageous yes. warrior. There's always a middle way. Um, but I guess the big theme here is when you do what you fear, fear disappears. Right. And yeah. And you grow stronger. Um, so I bet we could talk about freedom for months, actually. <laughs> maybe lifetimes. Yeah, maybe lifetimes. What's going on with on the topic of freedom, this freedom convoy in Canada? Um, 
I tweeted this out the other day. I saw that GoFundMe, I guess, confiscated t- close to $10 million that was contributed to them. My tweet was go fuck yourself, GoFundMe. Um, <laughs> and, you know, Bitcoin fixes this. I've since seen that Bitcoiners have raised somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars in Bitcoin yeah. um, since GoFundMe basically censored the payments. Yeah. Um, I think originally GoFundMe was going to just dish that out to charities of their choice. But I think the social media pressure has them now refunding the donors, which is a, yeah. a good thing. Um, what, what's your take on the Freedom Convoy and, and everything that's going on up there? Yeah, well, you know, first off, the Freedom Convoy of truckers in Canada, um, man, I'm so proud of those guys. Like, Canada is not a warm place right now in many mm-hmm. senses of the word, but these guys are outside in the capital of Ottawa standing for freedom. Mm-hmm. And, and they've been more effective than anyone else. And I, I'm, it makes, they make me proud to be a human. They're standing for freedom. They're brave. They're not backing down against the mandates. It's beautiful. And then you see like, cool, like, there's a reason why hundreds of thousands of people around the world, not just Canadians, but people all over the world want to support these truckers. And that's why they've had almost $10 million in donations coming through GoFundMe because they know the truckers aren't just standing for themselves. They're standing for all of our freedoms. And then uh, GoFundMe, actually interesting, Robert Malone just texted me this morning, a video of a, Zoom call where uh, I'll send it to you if you haven't seen it, but it's the Canadian authorities and I believe it's the Ottawa police chief. Don't quote me on that, but these Canadian authorities uh, saying we got GoFundMe to drop the convoy. So it's it basically it's the smoking gun of the Canadian government colluding with Silicon Valley big tech. Not fun stuff, but here's the deal. It's our fault. Yeah. Cool. Go. We tried to give donations to the truckers via GoFundMe. GoFundMe took them. Uh, now they're refunding everybody. Like it, to me, it's so wrong. They offer a service and then they decide, no, we're not going to do that service. Right. Uh, but of course, they're, they succumb to the pressure instead of literally stealing that money and giving it to a different charity, they're refunding it. So mm-hmm. there's that. But it's our fault. Like we're, we're using a centralized company to be the arbiter of our money and what we want to have happen with that money. That is a very old paradigm. It's decomposed, yet we're using it anyway. It is our fault. And the good news of it being our fault is that means we also have the power to change. So as you mentioned, now there's been a movement started using Bitcoin where there's no middleman. It's obviously decentralized. It's you and I and all other Bitcoin donors sending Bitcoin directly to the trucking convoy. Yeah. That's the beauty of what the new paradigm of freedom, aka Bitcoin, allows us to do. So Man, everything that happened, YouTube censoring people, deplatforming people, Spotify, like, are they going to kick Joe Rogan off? Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, but it's all our fault. Yeah. And, and I think it's as much as I don't like it, as much as it's unjust, as much as it's, we know the U.S. government is colluding with these companies. We know mm -hmm. the Canadian government is as unjust as it all is. And as much as I don't like it, I think it's ultimately good for us because pain is the best motivator yeah. to change. Yeah. It's like the, you know, the, the drug addict or an alcoholic, hmm. they need to hit rock bottom yeah. or else they're probably not going to change. So I, I think we're hitting rock bottom. <laughs> At least I hope we are. If not, I'm curious what that's going to look like. Yeah. But hitting rock bottom, it, it sucks in the moment. And, and it's chaos. Like, oh, what happens if you and I are kicked mm. off YouTube? Like, that's mm. a pain in the ass. Mm. But it's a great motivator because yeah. now we get to make a conscious choice to support systems that are decentralized, that put the hands back in or put the power back in the hands of the people rather than the people putting all the power in the hands of centralized authorities, governments, the federal reserve, the GoFundMe's, yeah. the Spotify's, the YouTube's. So yeah, man, I, I appreciate you asking, but that's how I see it. Like yeah. it's our fault. And I think it's ultimately good. Yeah. Well, it's a great point because we ultimately have the power to choose um, you know, thank God for things like Bitcoin. Otherwise we wouldn't have a really good alternative. Um, and it really does. The interesting thing about this is I think the more censorship is applied, it's a self-defeating effort because you're just, it's an advertising campaign for Bitcoin. It's like GoFundMe censored these funds. Next thing you know, Twitter is exploding and, you know, we've since raised whatever, Bitcoin has raised a million bucks. It's ongoing. I mean, you can't ask for a better advertising campaign for unstoppable money than a centralized authority colluding with a government to censor the flow of funds. So this whole thing in the long run is like accretive to freedom, but in the short run, it's really bad. And so it's like, again, as you said, pain is information. So yeah, um, yeah it, it's I agree. It's teaching us what doesn't work for us. Mm -hmm. And we need to have that model like, cool, go ahead and censor as wrong as that is as anti-freedom, anti-constitutional yeah. as that is. It's, it's teaching us that we need a better way. And I think long gone are the days where we get to sit back on the sidelines and say like, cool, we need change. Yeah. Someone create the change. <laughs> We're the change makers. Yeah. And like you said, luckily we have Bitcoin, just kind of grace of God, serendipity. I'm not sure what Satoshi, yeah. how he was tapped in, but uh, that's, I don't know where we would be without it, but we have it. Yeah. And that empowers so many of us to be the change and create the change we wish to see in the world where we realize we're all on the playing field. And I know myself and Justin Rosvani, the CEO of Zion, we're, we're looking at like, cool, we, we need decentralized social networks. We need a way for creators and people to connect and not be governed, but mm -hmm. have peer governance where mm -hmm. if like you're saying something, somebody doesn't uh, like, like, cool, they can stop listening instead of a centralized authority. What a radical idea. Just turn off the fucking channel or the, whatever it is you don't like to hear change the channel. It's weird, isn't it? So I think we're living in the time of Gandhi's 
wisdom that says, yeah. be the change you wish to see in the world. Yeah. And, and there's, and it's not just Bitcoin yet. Bitcoin itself, what I've had my eyes radically woken up to the past year is Bitcoin can empower so much meaningful change. Mm-hmm. You know, like Zion, it's built on Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. It, transferring value to the Canadian trucker convoy, Bitcoin allows that. Mm-hmm. Sending messages, mm-hmm. Bitcoin allows that. I used to... I'm not sure if I shared this with you in a previous conversation, Robert, um, full confession. I used to think Bitcoin was just a giant, stupid pyramid scheme. I'm just like, I think a lot of people did. It's really, yeah. dude. And it was ignorance on me. It was all based on assumptions, not the reality of it, but it was based on my lack of education on it. And, and I'm grateful that I'm, willing to open my eyes, mm-hmm. change my mind and learn, grow, evolve. Um, even though we live in a society where that's demonized. So once I started to learn that Bitcoin, it's not just money, mm-hmm. it's actually a store of value and there's Bitcoin, the asset, and then really woke my eyes up to like, this is such a solution to so many of the old paradigm problems, Bitcoin, the network. Mm-hmm. I mean, you mean to tell me, I can send you messages, encrypted messages over the Bitcoin network, not just money, but messages, words attached to that money. Mm-hmm. It, it, it blew my mind. And, and what really woke me up to it, uh, Tony Robbins sent me a video uh, interview he did with Michael Saylor. And I know you've had Michael Saylor on your show and he's just, man, he, he explains things in a way that I think it's just off the charts. So hearing him talk about what Bitcoin actually is, that's, that was my moment of waking up to like, holy shit. Yeah. Like not to sound too cliche in the Bitcoin world, but Bitcoin's the answer to a lot of things. Oh yeah. It, it is staggering. Um, you know, you mentioned Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan controversy right now. And, um, just crazy that you're trying to censor a guy that just talks to other people um what's going on with that i saw that rumble made him an offer right they offered i guess the spotify equivalent deal i saw you guys wrote him a letter too saying hey look move your shit on to zion it's like we don't even have the option to censor you yeah which is the only way it's ever going to work right you're never going to have People aren't going to have the option to speak freely in digital space until the option to censor speech is totally removed. And as you said, that's only possible with Bitcoin. There is no other solution full stop. So I'd love to just hear your commentary on the Joe Rogan controversy. And then, you know, what does the future look like on with something like Zion that we have unstoppable free speech in the digital age? Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think someone needs a strong imagination to understand why the powers that be, um, including the Biden administration, are trying to shut down Joe Rogan. Like, mm-hmm. what's the threat to your narrative? Uh, we we know he has some of the most censored doctors sharing their information, their clinical experience. You know, you've got the most published cardiologist on planet earth, Dr. Peter McCullough, sharing his perspectives based on his medical 
experience. Mm-hmm. And, and of course they try to shut that down. So yeah, you know, that, that part's kind of obvious. And then when you look at Spotify, like uh, I'm, I'd imagine you've probably seen they've, it's like they're quasi standing by Joe right. Rogan, which is yeah. also kind of like quasi good and quasi bad mm-hmm. where I, I believe a few days ago, they removed 110 episodes of his podcast. So they're, that's heavy, heavy censorship. Can I ask you, are those, not, are those removed completely or are those, are those just removed from Spotify? My understanding is removed completely because he's got his exclusive deal with Spotify where that's the only place his podcast is distributed. Whereas on YouTube, there's yeah. like little five minute clips distributed. Right. So based on my understanding, they're removed completely. So even if Spotify doesn't completely deplatform Joe Rogan, they're heavily censoring him. And then you you mentioned, you know, it was very exciting. I saw on Twitter where Rumble offered Joe Rogan yeah. here in this letter, we'll give you a hundred million dollars over four years and we won't censor you. And it, that's awesome. It's like, yeah. fuck you, Spotify. Yeah. And, and I think the, the rumbles, the getters, the parlors of the world, those are great steps. And I'm, I'm the first person to fully support those platforms. I'm on them. I want them to succeed mm-hmm. yet in the, the medium and long-term picture, I believe those platforms are only taking a step away from the problem. They're mm-hmm. not solving it right. because they're still centralized companies. And right now they seem to be run by great people. And that's mm-hmm. amazing. But the problem is there's still centralized companies that are pledging not to censor, mm-hmm. but, but they can censor if they want right. to. And, and we just imagine like, all right, what happens if they have a changing of the guard? What happens if Rumble gets acquired by Facebook or whoever? Uh, what happens if, you know, I think Rumble went public. What happens if shareholders are demanding like, look, right. it's actually hurting our stock value by you not deplatforming so-and-so or censoring Joe Rogan. So right now it's, it's only a pledge to not censor. And I, I sincerely hope Mm -hmm. that that pledge doesn't change, but the option remains. Yeah. That's the bad part. Yeah. So they take a step away from the problem, but how are you, how are you going to solve the problem? Well, what we're attempting to do with Zion is we're, we're not a centralized company that has power over any users. Instead, we empower users. We're, we're decentralized. We're built on Bitcoin. So each user, they're not a row in our database. They have their own node. They're, they're running as a sovereign individual. So if Joe Rogan or any creator that's currently on Zion, if we wanted to censor them, we don't. But like, let's just... Pretend that me and Justin Rosvani, we get indoctrinated by Klaus Schwab. We drink his Kool-Aid. We're like, we're on board. Thank you for the check, Klaus. I'd like to censor people. But the problem, the good problem is Zion can't censor people because it's built on Bitcoin technology. So for me, that's the future. And of course, that's what we're doing with Zion. And and to me, that's the, the future because... Honoring the fact that humanity is inherently good until proven otherwise allows us like to function as free sovereign individuals. But when 
we're in the old paradigm of centralized control that treats us, or at least can treat us, like we're all inherently bad. And therefore, they need to protect us from each other. So I think the future is uh, platforms, companies, and services that don't have the option to censor or don't have the option to control their users. Because I think if you look at human nature, like we walk around in our three-dimensional lives, there's no guardian between us saying, stop that conversation, that's dangerous. We know like, cool, life is great when we can function as free sovereign individuals. We know that about waking life. And I believe in the online space, it needs to be the same thing because that honors our true human nature. So I think the infrastructure of digital freedom and sovereignty, it's really just a reflection of Mm -hmm. our own human nature and why so many of us are waking up to the problems of big tech, you know, Spotify with Joe Rogan most recently. We, we, We realize that's a problem because that's out of congruence with what human nature is. Mm-hmm. Having someone shut down his mouth from saying words to me, that, that's, we know how gnarly that would be if someone came into a restaurant and like right. put their mouth, their hand around the mouth of someone we're trying to talk to. We know that's a gnarly violation of their free will and our free will and just our human connection. So I think, Bitcoin, Zion, and future companies that are going to be built with this same ethos, uh, they know that human freedom rather than human constriction is what we need because that's what freedom is. Amen to all that. Um, I think it's a beautiful place to put a button on it. Thank you for your patience through this uh, (laughs) little technical glitchy episode. JP, could you please let my audience know where they can find out more about you or your work? Absolutely. I'll give you uh, two websites. Uh, Being the founding creator at Zion, I'm so proud of what we've done and I'm so stoked at what we're growing into. So much exciting stuff is happening with Zion. So you can check out what we're doing at Zion at getzion.com. And then uh, for my personal comedy and things of that nature, you can go to awakenwithjp.com. Beautiful. JP, I really enjoyed this. Uh, Love talking about freedom and you're a great sparring partner to talk about it with. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, brother. And uh, next time you're in Austin, let's do a little bridge jump together. (laughs) Let's do that. I'm going to either need to practice my backflip or just get ready to do the normal jump though. (laughs) Either one will work. All right, man. Thanks so much.